Aloha! You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Lockdown Podcast Network. My guest today is Draft Junkies Rafael Barlow. We're going to talk about the best prospects in the world, both for the 2020 NBA Draft and beyond. He's coming to us live today from Barcelona. Let's roll. All right, and we're back, and this episode is brought to you by Truebill. Truebill is the new app that saves you money by helping you identify and stop paying for the subscriptions you don't want or need, and can even negotiate better deals on those you want to keep. My guest today is Draft Junkies Rafael Barlow. Rafael is also the host of Locked On NBA Draft. He's an international scouting guru, one of my favorite people in the world. And let's just start with, you know, we were in Texas uh, together for the Locked On Draft special. You were living in Dallas at the time. You packed up, got married, moved overseas. You're living in Barcelona right now, and full time. You're you're scouting the NBA draft and especially international prospects. Uh, just tell us a little bit about that journey, Rafael, because I, that's a it's both a very cool move and 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 quite a brave move. Well, just listening to you mention it, it does sound like a lot has changed in the last. I guess three or four months, but um, yeah, I, I wanted to to just have a better understanding of the international prospects. And actually, you know what? It it starts with with you. So I was watching. Uh, actually, a friend of mine watched the the uh, the live show, and uh, you labeled me the international guru. And so he says, "Hey, you know, I, maybe you should move back overseas." And I said, "Well, yeah. I mean, I would love to." And just depending on, you know, if I can make finances work out, so on and so on. And so he decided to invest in, in, so, in what I've been doing. And that has played a, a big role in me being able to come out here. And then I was able to find uh, another small company that wanted me to to do some consulting for them. And so it's all kind of worked out. But a, a big part of it was when you labeled me the international scouting guru on the draft show, somebody paid attention to it. And because it was coming from you, I think that that carried a lot of weight. So thank you for that. But uh, but yeah, I got married. Who knows what you say sometimes where it leads to, yeah, right? You, uh, that's uh, you you never that, know. look. I feel good about saying that about you because I think it's true. Um, and uh, and I and I think that especially you know early in my career, especially with the international prospects being there, going overseas. Um, watching them practice, understanding the culture, understanding the teams that they're on, uh, and, and everything that goes into that was really critical in getting those draft prospects right. And so I, I think we're all going to learn a lot from you, Raphael, uh, this year. I know I will uh, as you're over there scouting uh, scouting the draft. And um, for some people, uh you know, one of the guys, Victor Wimbanyama, who is not eligible for the 2022 NBA draft. I think he misses the deadline just by a couple of days, um, but but will be eligible for 2023. A lot of people think he might be the best player in the world right now. Uh, and, and then there's some that have watched, including me, watched Scoot Henderson in the G League, also 17 years old, also, also not eligible for the 2022 um, NBA draft. You've got to see Victor up close uh, and personal. Uh, I know you've also been watching uh, film from Scoot Henderson and, and what he's been doing at the G League right now. So I'm going to put you on the spot right at the beginning of this podcast and say, who is the best draft prospect 
in the world right now, regardless of age in your mind? Oh man, that's, that's, that's tough. Um, I guess right now it's a small sample size, but I think I'll go with Scoot. And the reason I'll go with Scoot is because I had a chance to watch Win Benyama Live and some of the same struggles that we've seen with Chet Holmgren, Win Benyama's having them, but it's even more magnified because basketball and I mean, he's playing against older, older guys. And, and in the game that I saw, he kind of um, got it handed to him by a, a 2022 prospect in Ismail Kamakate. And so I think with Wimbanyama, one of the questions is what is going to be his role on the offensive end? Because he's too slight to really be a post threat. And he's not a good enough shooter right now to where you can say that he's a, you know, a pick and pop guy. So the game that I saw, they were using him as a, a threat behind a three-point line, but then he was trying to attack closeouts. But right now, I mean, the, he can attack closeouts playing against his age group, but against grown men, he can't necessarily handle the bump. And then it just turns into like this awkward possession. And then you can see some of the same issues a little bit with Chet when he's kind of getting boxed out under the basket. But from what I've seen from Scoot, I mean, that – that burst, that explosion, and the shooting touch. I mean, I haven't seen that combination in I, I can't think of ever because even with like Derrick Rose, he was a similar athlete, even like Westbrook, but they didn't have the same shooting touch and stroke at 17. And it wasn't even close. Yeah, I think that is the thing that that really stands out about Scoot. Like from a physical standpoint, Westbrook and Derrick Rose are are good comps. Um, for you know his body, his athleticism, his explosiveness, and the sort of work ethic and drive that both of those both of those prospects showed, uh, and and Scoot hasn't necessarily been shooting the lights out for G League Ignite right now, but the shooting form and and the way that he's able to let it go from beyond beyond the arc, and again we're comparing him to a 17 year old Derrick Rose or a 17 year old West Russell. Well, I don't I don't even think we were paying that close attention to Russell Westbrook at 17. We definitely were for Derrick Rose. Um, it, it's very advanced, and and so I think it's sort of interesting. One of the arguments for Scoot is he already has the NBA body, the athleticism, the strength. You can credibly, at least in my mind, after watching him play for the G League Ignite, see him in an NBA game right now. And he might make a lot of mistakes. There, there might be a lot to work on there. But he could hang uh, in an NBA game right now at 17. When you think about Victor or Chet, I think this is the thing that is hard for everybody, uh, including me, to c- completely understand. Their bodies are so slender. They're unique prospects. They, they Both of them have talent and skill level at their size and length that is extremely rare. Uh, but those bodies are so thin and so frail. How do they hang at the NBA level? And so I think it's really interesting. You're seeing him in the French League uh, in Paris playing against grown men, and it's a problem. We're seeing Chet at times have problems. I'm curious. One thing that I will say about Chet is he's got a lot of fight in him. Um, he's thin. But he competes, he fights, he doesn't seem intimidated by the physicality. He may not actually have the strength at times to hold up to it, but he doesn't back away from it uh, at all. He's out there battling for rebounds. He's, he's battling to block out. Where is Victor Wimbayama in, the, on, in that end? Because I think that's the one thing that gives me hope that Chet's going to be okay. 
uh, is that the fight is there. Um, and as long as the fight is there, he's going to figure it out. Where's Victor at on that on that scale? I think he's very similar. I, I think that he's very similar. It was actually something that I, I had a conversation with his agent, Buna Injai, about. And Buna represents Gobert, Fournier, and a bunch of the top, actually yeah. pretty much the whole French national team. And I he's mean, the, course, he's the elite agent for French prospects. Yes, yeah. <laughs> definitely. And so, uh, of course, you know, it's his agent, but it was kind of an off the record conversation. Buna actually lives by me in Dallas. So I, I have a, a personal relationship with him, but he said, Victor does not like to lose. And he said that he compares Victor's drive to Rudy because Rudy plays with his chip on his shoulder because you know, he was upset that he fell late in the first round. He said Rudy has been able to carry this chip. And then he even mentioned Fournier as a guy that has totally maximized all of his gifts because he works so hard. He's not the most talented guy, but he said Fournier has been where he's he's made it to where he's at because of his work ethic. And he compared Victor to both of those guys. And so even the game that I watched him play, I mean, you saw him trying to attack closeouts and it's kind of looked like a you know, a baby deer <laughs> trying to run for the first time, but he got back up every time and he still was, was trying to fight. And so, you know, I, I, you can see the skill set, but I mean, he's obviously limited because one, he's only 17 and, and I mean, his, his body's just not able, is not going to allow him to handle the physicality. But like you said, he, he, he fights. So let's just, let's just rank them here. You've got scoot one best prospects in the world, regardless of age. Wimbayama two for you? Um, you know what? If you would have you got, mentioned you got somebody else. If you would have asked me that three months ago, I would have said, yeah, but I'm 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 heavy on the Bancaro train right now. I think that okay. Bancaro is I mean, I think he's special and he really has not had an opportunity to unlock his passing skills and unlock the, the playmaking skills. So I think Ben Carroll is at the point where I had mentioned in, in like my last video, because he's so physically developed, you're starting to look at him like, okay, he doesn't have the same upside as a 195-pound <laughs> you know, center. But I, I think Ben Carroll is, is special. I mean, if he would have been able to have full games, you know, you know, other than the two games that he had cramping issues, I mean, he could have had – 30 points in both games. And so, yeah, I think that he's one of the most polished freshmen that we've had coming into college basketball in a while. So I see you, I, I see you edging towards the prospects because again, I think Boncaro is another good example of someone it's easy to imagine plugging him into an NBA game right now and given his size and strength and skill set and, and, and feel for the game that he's going to be, he's going to be fine day one uh, in the NBA. He'll still have room to grow. He'll still make rookie mistakes like all these players do, but it's it's easy to sort of see that sort of translation. Okay, so Boncaro two. All right, uh, you've got Chet. You've, you got, okay, Victor three. Chet four. Uh, where, and where are you at with Jabari Smith? Uh, I'd have him five. Okay. I'd have him five. So I'd, I'd have, uh, you know, the two, oh, I have... Ben Carroll, Chet, and Smith from this class. And then as far as 2023, I would go with Scoot and Wimbayama. Those are my top five. You know, um, I'm going to confess, uh, I haven't really written much about this yet. I, I'm I'm starting to find myself pulled towards, in this draft, um, Jabari uh, uh, Smith right now. Um, I was a Chet guy. Chet's been number one uh, on 
both of my uh, big boards. Now, again, mine are based more on the NBA intel that I'm getting than necessarily my own opinion. Uh, and with, with Chet and Boncaro sort of head-to-head both times, and it, it's, it's at least for the folks I talk to, there's a fairly even um, split between there. But I wonder if Jabari is the is the kind of compromise pick between them, right? There's some of the, you know, length, mobility um, that that Chet brings to the table, but some of the you know skill sets that Boncaro he's he's skinny still, but 220 pounds compared to 195 pounds is it, it's it's it means something, right? It's like he's Evan Mobley now and not you know, what um, Ben Caro does. And the shooting thing has been the thing that's just really stood out to me about Jabari. I think all three, Chet, Boncaro, and Jabari can can stretch it. But early on, man, for Auburn, it, it, it really looks like Jabari is is going to maybe be an elite shooter. Uh, not just not just a big guy who can stretch the floor, but actually an elite shooter. And then you, you know, put a guy at 6'10", with his foot speed, uh, his ability to defend, you know, probably three positions on the floor, um, and if he's going to be able to stretch it like that, um, I, I just wonder in the modern NBA whether, if you're the general manager and the number one pick, and on one hand you've get Chet who could turn into something really special, but there's not a lot of templates out there for Chet. Like it's a, it's going to be a, a really interesting experiment. Or you know what you get with Boncaro, but doesn't have a, that elite length or that sort of elite athleticism or pop uh, that you typically think about when you have the number one pick in the draft. I, I wonder if teams, especially when you look at some of the teams that are likely to have the number one pick in the draft, like Orlando, um, for example, Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, you know, some of the teams that are at the, the Houston Rockets, they all seem like Jabari Smith might actually be the most tailor-made fit for them as well. Yeah, I mean, I think some team is going to hope that they don't fall number one or, or even number two. If you get the third pick, then, you know, he may fall right right into your lap. I, I agree with the shooting aspect of it. I thought that he was a good shooter that could stretch the floor, but he's at like 43% on five attempts per game, which... I mean, that's that's elite shooting. And so I think that he's more ready to come in and contribute and help a team right now than a Wimbanyama or or a Chet. Um, but, you know, the NBA draft isn't about who can help you win right now. It's about, you know, the long term. But one of the things that I've been impressed with is well, actually when I watched this film in high school, I wasn't that high on him. I thought that he reminded me of Channing Fry. I thought he was just going to be a pick and pop guy that didn't do much else. And what I've seen from him at Auburn is he's posting up a little bit more. Last time I looked, it was only like eight attempts, but he's, as he's gotten stronger, he looks comfortable posting up. But when I've watched a couple of his post possessions, he has a little bit of that LaMarcus Aldrich turnaround fade with the high release that, you know, nobody can block or even alter. And I think if he adds that, continues to develop that part of his game, then he could end up being the best player five, six years down the road out of this 2022 draft class. He's Rafael Barlow, NBA Draft Junkies.com, Locked On NBA Draft Podcast. Uh, when we talked about the top guys, I want to kind of talk about some of the other lottery prospects that that you've been scouting and, and ask you what 
if anything, how you feel about Yannick Zosa, who we were both very, very high on before the season started. What's going on there? You're in Spain. Uh, before we do so, I want to talk about one of our new sponsors, Truebill. Do you know why free trials renew without your consent? It's a business scam out to get you. Don't let greedy corporations pocket your money. Download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. I just actually used it to cancel an account that I couldn't get off my credit card statement for like for like months. Uh, and so it, it actually really works uh, because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel. Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. That's what they did for me. And your Truebill concierge is there uh, when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockedOnMBA. Go right now. Truebill.com slash LockedOnMBA. It could save you thousands a year Truebill.com slash locked on NBA. And I'm back with Rafael Barlow, NBF draft, NBF, NBA draft junkies.com making incredible scouting videos like he's been doing for a while. Also uh, running the Locked On NBA Draft podcast a couple times a week. International scouting guru. What else can I say about Rafael Barlow? He's in Barcelona right now. I want to talk about some of the other prospects um, in the lottery and what you sort of think about them. But I want, to, I want to start with a guy that I had international scouts swearing to me that Yannick Zosha should be in the mix for the number one pick. Uh, in the draft but before the season began that uh, that was their take most of the American scouts probably had him more in like the five to you know five to seven or eight range um, his season it's been rocky um, you know to say the least you called some of it I think the last time on the podcast you wondered whether I think it's uh, Michael Eric right is that um, who came in, the American came in, whether his role was going to ca- uh, come. I know from talking in sources with the team that he also had a kind of nagging injury that kind of bothered him throughout the summer that he rehabbed and kind of came back and wasn't quite in 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 game shape because of because of that injury. And that, that really hadn't come out publicly. Um, I'm just curious where you're at now on, on him. I'm assuming you've seen him play and, you know, what do you what do you think about his draft prospect right now? Should we be patient? Or is it time to get off the Yannick Zosa bandwagon? Well, I haven't had the opportunity to watch him play. But, you know, it's starting to make sense because Michael was a late addition. I was at a wedding with him, and he got the information that he was signing there. And I thought it was weird because I assumed that, you know, um, Sosa was going to have a major role in, in, in their team this year. But when they brought Michael in so late, it makes sense now because they must have known that, this injury was lingering and that he was not going to be ready to come in and contribute right away. And then if you know the international basketball market, especially Spain, there's no developmental minutes, you know, it's so competitive. And so they wanted somebody, I'm assuming they wanted somebody that can come in and compete. And so right now I think he's only playing about 12 minutes per game. And um, last I looked, he's shooting about 38% from the floor. So offensively he's For a seven footer. Yeah. Not good. He's struggling. Um, of course, defensively, I mean, I think that's going to be his calling card early on. I think that um, 
I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, I'm I'm glad that I'm not an NBA decision maker and I have to make a decision on him because the sample size is small, and um, you're you're not gonna really get a a good feel for him this year. I don't I don't think. I mean, it's it's probably too late in the season unless something changes. But I just don't see him all of a sudden ramping it up to about 25 minutes per game. Look, we've had to deal with this in the past. Um, there's been a number of international lottery prospects that weren't playing significant minutes for their teams. Not everybody's a Luka Doncic, um, where you know that at, at their age they're out leading their team. In fact, this is probably more the norm for European prospects that you know 12 minutes a night on a you know on a high level team is is the norm. I think we expected more um, out of Zosa just from a scouting standpoint because I think this is where it's going to have to have to be right like it, you're not going to necessarily be able to gauge him based off production this year uh unfortunately but just from a scouting standpoint where does he land for you right now in this draft because i've seen people drop him all the way out of the top top 30 um i i kind of split the difference in my big board 2.0 he sits at 15 um right now uh which is kind of right 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 on the border of the lottery but also you know sliding into the mid first round where where is he at for you right now on your board oh it's uh tough I, I just released it this morning and i had him at 29 <laughs> okay so you think that, you've gotten you've gotten bearish on him yeah i mean i just think that well i i heavily go off of what i see and i'm, I'm not a person that like ranks high school freshmen that are struggling based off of what they did in in high school i go by what i see and uh, yeah, I think, we had this conversation with zaire uh last year right yeah and, and uh, you're like bj boston. what i see on the tape is terrible <laughs> yeah and bj boston and yep and, right now zaire you may end up being right it's too early to tell but you might be right but bj boston was one where okay we missed on that one yeah um, he, had a he looks like he's going to be an nba player yeah at 27 yeah. last night um, but yeah, I think Mark Williams has passed. Um, I think he's passed up Sosa on a lot of draft boards. I mean, if if Sosa was having the same year Mark Williams is having, then people would say, oh my gosh, he's a top seven pick. <laughs> so I know he's only 17 years old. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's... But wouldn't he be, but wouldn't he be if he was playing at Duke? Like, and and okay, there's an injury. But I mean, isn't that part of the problem, right? Like we're comparing these guys that are obviously a seven footer with the skills of well, Mark Williams or Yannick Zosa are going to get significant minutes on a, even a really high level college team. But you might not uh, in in the Spanish league, right? In the ACB. Um, it's even tougher so, because you could say if Sosa was in the States, he'd be in high school. <laughs> Maybe even right. junior, or, or he'd school. be Jalen Duran, right? Right, like he'd be Jalen Duran, and like have reclassified and and uh, be one of the youngest players in this draft. Um, okay, so twenty nine, just you just you're just going straight off the production of what you're seeing right now. I'm just going by what I what I see right now, and uh, I mean he just looks like he's lost his sync offensively, and. I thought the one of the things that I did like about him on the offensive end of the floor was I thought he had pretty decent touch around the rim, and I just haven't really seen that this year. But you know, it's it's expected. I mean, we're seeing even NBA players who didn't do anything this off season struggle, and for him, he's missed you know three months. He's already late, like a late bloomer in a sense. So. Um, it's just tough for him to gauge, but I mean, I, I think that he could end up moving up. 
I'm curious to watch him play because one of the things I want to do is I know I probably won't get a chance to see him actually play in the game, but I want to get there early and watch him warm up and see if he's knocking down 15-foot jumpers and just see how the touch looks from, you know, a, a warm-up standpoint to give me a better idea of, you know, if he has shooting touch or not. Uh, that'll be interesting. Uh, we'll have you back on when that comes because I know a lot, of, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. I know a lot of NBA scouts have expressed frustration, or they had expressed frustration to me that they weren't even being allowed in to see practices um, or or shoot arounds um, with him, and and so they were really really limited to like what sort of minutes he was getting. Um, in games. And so I don't know if that's changed or whether that was COVID protocols or, or what have you, but I know uh, several weeks or maybe even a month ago that there was several folks expressing that, that frustration and that concern that they weren't, um, they're not getting this sort of access um, to him. And whether that's a power move by the team, that happens sometimes in Europe. Like, okay, we're, we're, look, we're thinking about him in 2022, 2023. Um, and if he's not going to help us this year, we still want him to help us next year. Um, or even a buyout. Really, I don't know what his contract situation is like, but if he has a sizable buyout and he gets drafted and, it's, and, and you know, they the money they could get from a buyout could – buy them a pretty valuable player. So I think yeah. that's even something to consider now. Okay. Well, uh, that was a guy that I I think both of us, before the season began, thought was going to be a guy kind of in our top five, um, not there anymore. Who stood out to you this year? Who's who's a guy that you're higher on now, like, signif- like in the lottery, that maybe has surprised you this year that you didn't see coming? I'd say Kendall Brown from Baylor. Okay, good choice. Yeah, he's probably the one that stood out the most. I mean, we all knew that he was like this freakishly good athlete and that, I mean, he had this upside and potential, but I did not know that he was such a good passer. I mean, he had a a 10 assist game earlier this year, and even though he's like very reluctant to shoot, I think he's only taken 12 jump shots all year, the stroke doesn't look bad, and he's making, you know, a, a good percentage of them. If he can develop into a, a a more confident shooter, I think he's just like this freaky athletic glue guy that is a ball mover, and I mean, he gets his points off of energy and cuts and transition. And I think that he is probably one of the more intriguing prospects because of his length, athleticism, and just how he plays. Great choice. Uh, you know, uh, th- it, it was a prospect I really liked, but I think I had him like twenty-two ish on my initial big board in part because I just didn't know what role he was going to play at Baylor. And I, I really thought he'd probably be coming off the bench in some sort of supporting role for them. And uh, I, I think the jump shot is the, is the key because he plays the right position from the NBA. He brings two things to the table that they covet in wings, right? He's an elite athlete. And like you said, his feel for the game is is much higher than I think people sort of expected his ability to pass the basketball and, and make reads defensively. And so now it comes down to that shot and you look at the shooting percentages are like, cool. Then you look at the sample size and you're like, Oh, okay. Like it just takes one bad shooting game and that those would all, um, you know, plummet. But yeah, I think Kendall Brown's a guy who might end up, you know, in the top five, uh, if, uh, if, if, if people are really confident that they think he can stretch the floor as well, the position is so valuable. And you know, one of the things that you and I have talked about in this draft is you got a bunch of bigs 
really kind of dominating this draft. But, you know, bigs are not typically what a lot of these teams are hungry for, right? They really, they're really hungry for wings or uh, guards that can play multiple positions in the backcourt. And, and so I think Kendall Brown might be able to displace like a Caleb Houston um, or, you know, a, a, a Patrick Baldwin or whatever is sort of the top sort of wing prospect, uh, Peyton Watson, on the, on the, on the board. And I, I think he may have already done yeah, it. Yeah, I have a number five on my on my big board. So he's okay. That's aggressive. Five's good. Yeah, he convinced me. I actually had a chance to watch Baylor practice before the season started, and he was dealing with an injury, so he wasn't a hundred percent. But it was at the practice that I knew, okay, this guy is going to be a lot better than what his ranking is. Just how he was making plays, and even at like a, a limited effort, the way he was moving the ball, and that's when his IQ kind of stood out to me that. There's um, some playmaking potential there. Okay, so Kendall Brown, uh, I, I think Zosa's obviously a guy that we could label as a disappointment, somebody that we had in our lottery that that hasn't lived up to that. Anybody else that's been an early disappointment for you that that you've that you've moved off of? I mean, it's it's quite a few guys that I think their their hype coming into the season hasn't lived up to their play. I mean, you can go with Peyton Watson. You can go with Caleb Houston. Even though I think he's starting to turn the corner. He had a couple good games back-to-back. He, he does seem to be. Yep. Um, yeah. Max Christie is struggling. And then um, Patrick Baldwin is is probably the biggest wild card for me simply because he has one more game against Colorado, against Power 5 competition. The floor of the game, which you, you mentioned in your, in, your, um, in your article, the effort didn't – you know, it just wasn't there. And then he's had some some really rough shooting nights against some mid-major competition. But then he had a six-for-six six game from three against Robert Morris that brought his shooting percentages up from three to like 40%. But prior to that, I think it was like in the, in the high 20s. And for a guy that has a reputation of being a shooter, it's kind of concerning that he's not dominating or shooting well against mid-major competition. Yeah, he – I, I – um... I was on the podcast with uh, the draft deeper um, folks, and uh, you know, I pointed out in my in my when I was putting together my big board, I saw more complaints from scouts about Patrick Baldwin than than anybody. Um, in part because there are not a lot of high sc- high level scouting opportunities for him. The Florida game should have been, in his mind, this is how I prove to scouts. That I'm the guy, and it, fair enough. If the shot's not coming, you know you can write that off, or you know have a bad game. But the effort level um, that they saw, the competitiveness, I think that is what really stunned scouts. Like he should have not, if nothing else, been playing his butt off uh, in front of scouts, regardless if you go 0 for 10 from the field, right? Like, and and the fact that it felt like he gave up. And then you look at their record, and I was trying to think when's the last time that we have a draft prospect that's a lottery prospect on a low major um, or maybe mid-major, depending on what you want to think about their Horizon League in Milwaukee. This team's won like one game, maybe two games all season. Uh, and that's not like they're getting blown out by Florida. I mean, they got blown out by Florida, but they're also getting beat by other low, <laughs> you know, low-tier teams. And usually a lottery pick on teams like that, like guarantees that you're probably going to win your conference. That you know you, you've you've got a player that's just leaps ahead of of everybody else in the conference. 
I, I think he's in real danger. I actually think, especially also, is I don't think that scouts were in love with his Team USA performance in the under-19s either. Um, I, I think he definitely is a guy. I mean, Peyton Watson, we can say, look, opportunity is definitely part of the issue um, with him. Caleb Houston, you can look and say they, he was trying to fit into that team. And I, I don't know what you think, but I mean, Caleb Houston to me is always sort of a more of a, a glue guy anyway. Like he's he's not a guy that's going to take over a game. Uh, I love him. I love him as a prospect, but I never expected him to be 20 points a night at Michigan anyway. So getting off to that slow start didn't totally surprise me. And like I said, his shot's starting to fall. In the last couple of games I watched in Michigan, I actually think he looked again like a potential top 10 um, you know, prospect. So I think it's coming around for him. But Patrick Baldwin Jr., I, I don't know how to defend him. Yeah, he's the biggest um, wild card right to now. me in, in this draft. Because yeah. you, you look at – he looks bigger than 6'10". When you look at him on the court, you see that he's handling the ball, how, how well he moves and his size. You're like, this guy looks like an NBA player. But then you look at the numbers and see that he's struggling. And I, I agree. Like, I, I watched the under-19 film. And he took 44 shots in that tournament. 28 of those were threes. So it's like, all right, if, if that's going to be your role, if you're going to take a majority of, of your shots being threes, I think you have to be a sniper. And he only shot like 32% at the under-19s. And even now, I mean, that six-for-six six game will help anybody's shooting percentage. But outside of that, he's really struggled. And so – I don't know his defined role as an NBA player other than you just see that he has a lot of talent and, and skill set, but I don't know what is the one thing he can hang his hat on if he's not going to be a, a knockdown shooter. He's Rafael Barlow, NBA DraftJunkies.com, locked on NBA Draft Podcast, and a big fan of Built Bar. Uh, as we saw in Dallas uh, when we were putting together our our uh, NBA big uh, draft show, probably not getting much Built Bar in Barcelona, Spain right now. So I'm just going to remind you, Rafael, that Built Bar has so many delicious flavors. You're probably craving them right now as I as I say this. There's something for everyone. Uh, coconut, Cherry Barcia, Raspberry, Mint Brownie, Double Chocolate, Salted Caramel. I know that's one of your favorites. Strawberry, Orange, Cookies and Cream, German Chocolate. My personal is the coconut. I think it tastes like a Mounds bar. It's chewy. It's delicious. I think Raphael had like 15 built bars when we were on the set that night. Um, powered by <laughs> built left bar, it. literally. We <laughs> were literally powered by built bar and brought home a box. Uh, not only are they delicious and and they, they taste great, they're actually healthy too. They have 17, 18 grams of protein, calories ranging from 130 to 180 calories, only four to five grams of sugar, only four to five grams of net carbs. Order today. Get your grasshopper cookie, your raspberry, whatever you like. Built Bar is also the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use promo code LOCK15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, Raphael, speed round. I'm here at the end. This international class struggling. I, I and <laughs> it's struggling. Yeah. Uh, Asmani Jang, I really like him as a prospect. It's well. Let's wait and see. I think of this recording one game 
Uh, right now for the New Zealand Breakers, it wasn't wasn't great. Uh, he had a preseason game that was pretty good. Um, but you know, let's see. He he is a modern wing size and skill set to to be a wing. Um, there is a big question mark about what his production level will look like um, in, in in Australia. Um, Nikola uh, Jovic, not Jokic. Uh, Jovic uh, struggling. Yeah, especially out of his decision making out of ball screens. Like if you look at the shooting numbers, they're not bad. They're actually kind of encouraging. Um, but he's struggling with his decision making. I looked it up. It was like 39% of his pick and roll ball handling attempts end up in a turnover. And one of the big things that that people like about him is his versatility and you know being able to pass Whoa, at, at yeah. 6'10. And I think that's been the, the biggest issue so far. Seems like he's regressed a little bit. Um, is there a like lock for you first round prospect from the international field? I mean, you've been out there, you've been scouting guys. Who who are you most confident in right now? We've talked about the the three guys that kind of had the preseason um, hype, all of which so far have struggled to live up to it. Who do you like? I actually like Ismail Kamagate from Paris Basket. I think that um, he's your modern day, you know, your modern day big. I mean, he's he's active. I mean, his motor runs. That's probably his greatest asset. And I was at the game I mentioned earlier in the podcast where he absolutely just dominated Wimbenyama because he's obviously he's more physically ready to contribute right away. But I think that he's someone that could be like a Clint Capella in a sense. He's not as long as Capella, but just that 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 guy that shoots 70% from the floor, scores off of cuts and just kind of dump offs and being active around the basket. And then he does the little things like it may not show up on the box score, but if the way he transitions from defense to offense, I mean, it's a sprint. Like one of the things that everybody liked about Sosa was how hard he ran the floor. And Kamagate is someone that I think is a little underrated right now. But I think as the season goes on, I think he could um, end up rising up draft boards. And then I also like Usman Jang's teammate, Hugo Besson. <laughs> I had to get the mm, – Yeah, yeah. We've, you've <laughs> talked about him before on the show. Yeah. That's your guy. Yeah, I had to get the, uh, the the pronunciation correct. I like him a lot. Besson. Yeah. And uh, and he's uh, his agent, which is you know another Buna Njai guy. But Buna thinks that he is a Tyler Hero type player. I could play a little bit of one, two, just a a creative shot maker. And um, you know, the the preseason game where um where Jang had like 18 and 9, Besson had also had a, a pretty big game. I think he had like 24 points. And I, I really like him a lot also. But both of those guys I think are born in 2001. You know, with the international players, it's all about what year they were born in, which helps their stock. So I think because they're like 2001 born, they may not seem to have the, the the upside as some of the guys that are born in 2003, but I like both of those guys. Okay, last question. Now give me a US guy that's a sleeper, somebody that you know maybe doesn't have a lot of buzz, may not be a lottery pick, but just somebody that, that you've, you've been watching and that you really like that you wanna advocate for right now. Um, wow, there's a, 
a couple guys. Well, one, J.D. Davidson. I thought that he was – obviously, he was very hyped. He's going to be a lottery pick. Yeah, he was very hyped coming <laughs> into the season. And then, uh, one, I just admire the fact that he chose to go to Alabama, and he could have went literally anywhere in the country, been a high-usage guard. But I, I, I have a lot of respect for how he's handled coming off the bench and how well he's played in that role. Um, but the guy who I would probably advocate for who – is similar of a, a name that's been thrown around for the last couple of years, but I've just really been impressed with his plays. Wendell Moore. I mean, he's averaging like 18, 6, and 6, or 18, 6, and 5, something like that, shooting like 56% from the floor. He is an athletic wing that I think can defend multiple positions, and he's taking care of the ball. I mean, it's almost like a three to one turnover ratio, and six assists in college is, is a pretty significant number. So, I think that he is someone that, you know, we'd probably be talking about more because he's only 20. He's like a young, you know, he's a young junior. He's a young junior, and, yeah. And so um, I, I don't think that he's been given enough, I guess, uh, credit or, or given enough attention about his upside and that he still has a ways to go because he's only 20. I mean, he's only a few months older than some of the, the freshmen that were, that were so high on. So I think Wendell Moore – is someone that uh, I'm probably a little bit higher on than most. I, I love that choice. I think I had him 26 on my on my big board, and and that even felt lowish to me because I'm still hanging on to some of the freshmen that we'd ranked higher early on and giving them more time. Uh, I, I could easily see him sliding into the teens, um, and you know maybe even late lottery. Especially talking to some scouts who are wondering, could he be a primary ball handler? at the next level that you know duke kind of uses multiple players to to initiate offense and and be the point guard but uh, there i think there's a real argument that that he might be able to be that sort of hybrid either as a wing or as as a, as a lead guard and with his size and everything else yeah he's he's been a guy that me just like screams that's an nba skill set that's an NBA player right there. I don't care what happened his freshman and sophomore years at Duke. He's doing it now at Duke and doing it at a high level and consistently at a high level. So uh, I'm with you on that one. I think that's a really good, great call. Yep. Yeah. I, um, I I really have been impressed with even like the little things. In the Gonzaga game, I thought that he had the play that turned the game around when he got the steal off the – I mean, it was a bad turnover by Chet, but he got the – you know, he, he looked like he was going back on defense and he went and got the steal on the inbounds pass and – end up drawing a foul, but it's how hard he plays, and it's the intangibles that that have also stood out to me. Okay, he's Rafael Barlow coming to us from Barcelona today. Uh, looking forward to reading all your stuff and watching your videos. You can go over to NBADraftJunkies.com. Uh, you can ch check out his YouTube channel uh, as well, and you can find his podcast uh, at Locked On NBA Draft. Uh, always a pleasure, Raphael. Uh, and make sure that you go and check out uh, NBABigBoard.com uh, as well. Lots of great stuff coming over there. we got new big boards. We've got uh, every Tuesday prospect watch kind of breaking down who scouts are talking about, buzzing about, also rookie of the week and sophomores of the week. Uh, just so much great stuff happening over at NBA Big Board as well. Thanks so much, Raphael. Thank you. Thank you so much. You listen to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Aloha.